This morning's scripture comes from Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it? Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did, not, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and in those who journeyed with, and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you... It is hard for you to kick against the goat. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and which you have seen me and to those in which I appeared to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they might receive forgiveness of sins and place among, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this, reason, for, the, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. You know great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and I, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether, a short, whether short or long, uh, sorry, I would to God 
I would to God that not only not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not been appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Acts 25 and 26 are a continuation of Paul's situation having been arrested in Acts 21. And we know from Paul's writings and the rest of church history that Paul will spend the remainder of his life in prison. In fact, his life will end being imprisoned. A quick summary of Acts 25 is that Paul has just appealed to Caesar, which comes to the front at the end of Acts 26, and Paul is seeking to go to Rome. The Lord has told him he will proclaim the gospel to go to Rome. So Paul is finding a way to go to Rome. And this trial is his ticket. Now Festus is bringing Agrippa into the picture because Agrippa is a king of Judea. And Festus is a new governor from Rome in the area. His desire is to buddy up with Agrippa so that his rule over Judea as a Roman council will go better than it did for Felix. Felix's rule wasn't very long and it wasn't very good. So he's trying to buddy up with the people who are in control so that things will go well for him. Which leads us into Acts 26, as David just read from the book of Acts. Paul's in a pretty difficult situation. I loved the reading from Psalm 69, because the writer of Psalm 69, which is for the whole people of God to profess, not in a good situation. It didn't sound like things are going well for the psalmist there. I bargain to say that they sucked. And just like Paul, he is in a terrible situation. So I put before you this question. In difficult situations, threatening situations, when the pressure's on from the world, how do we make the most of the gospel? How do we evangelize in threatening and dire situations? In our current cultural climate, I think we see Christians trying to do this. The problem, though, is that they're attempting to often use the ways of the world to force people into being Christians. They're attempting to coerce people into Christianity. There is no coerced Christianity, if you want a nice alliteration. Or they're trying to use political force to form people that will agree to the outward forms but have no love for Christ and himself. As some of you know, I recently graduated from Covenant Seminary, and because I now have the freedom to read what I want, I've been spending a lot of time <laughs> in the Lord of the Rings. And this situation that we experience in our culture reminds me very greatly of the character Boromir in The Fellowship of the Ring. All right, so most of these people know that. You don't have to know. It's okay. <laughs> um, but Boromir, he's a man, and he's with the ring bearer, the the ring that this evil force has put all of his power into so that he might control the world. And his city is under threat. And he desires to take the ring that he might wield it for good 
to bring about a good result. The problem is, is that evil only begets evil. You cannot use an evil thing to beget good as a creature. Now, the Lord and his sovereignty will work it out that evil leads to good for the sake of those whom he loves. But we are not to wield evil. Evil means to attempt to produce a good result. So how then in evil situations should we make the most of the gospel that we might produce good? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what do we got to do that we're using the right tools to reap that harvest? I think we look at Paul here. We imitate Paul. Paul tells us to imitate him. But how should we imitate him? What does that mean? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13, he says, 12 and 13, he says this. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That doesn't sound particularly enjoyable. I don't want to be the refuse of all things. But according to Christ, the way down is the way up. And so how does Paul handle himself in a difficult situation? A threatening situation where his life is literally on the line? He endures, he blesses, and he entreats. So as we imitate Paul, as he imitates Christ, as we imitate Christ, we endure because Christ has endured for us. We bless because Christ has blessed us. And we entreat because Christ has entreated us. Christ is our constitution. The word of God is our constitution. It dictates the way that we live. We do not play by the games of the world, by the way of the world. We are part of his kingdom, therefore we operate as citizens of his kingdom. We imitate our king. We do not seek to wield evil for good. So let us look at how Christ endures for us. Jesus in his very incarnation is exiting glory to enter into our sin and misery is a great act of endurance. Paul in Philippians, one of his letters written in prison, says that the very Son of God exited glory where he was praised day and night. I don't know about you, I want to be in a place where I'm praised day and night and I don't want to leave it. And Jesus said, for your sake, I will do this because I desire you. But not only that, did Jesus exit that and suffer? He suffered at the hands of evil people. He was whipped. He was beaten. So you could see the very muscles in his back. And I've often wrestled with this question of how bad is sin really? And not being God, I can't know. <laughs> but what I can know is I can look at the suffering that my Savior experienced and see that's how bad sin is. That it required the very life of God to pay for the endurance that Jesus gave, he endured on our behalf. Jesus is our provision before he is our example. And he has provided for us the endurance in and of himself. What might the world look like if we endured even less for the sake of the gospel? Because if we're honest, for most of us, Christian suffering in this country is not as intense as what Christ experienced. But Christ tells us that we should expect suffering on account of being his. 
on account of being citizens of another kingdom. Do you believe this? Do you trust in the one who has endured all things so that he might give you all things? That is a question before you. And then Jesus blesses us. The number of ways that Jesus has blessed us is truly unlimited. I, that, that could be, I could just sit here and read that for you. And we'd probably never get to go home. Never make it to lunch. But primarily, Jesus blesses us in his endurance and suffering. He makes us righteous before God, as Paul declares, declares to us in Romans 3 and 6, that Christ died for the ungodly, that is us. We were ungodly before we became believers. That we would be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so in Christ's endurance, in his suffering, in his work on the cross, in his life, death, and resurrection, he unites us to Christ. He unites us to himself by the Spirit. He makes us a new creation. We are no longer the old person. We are the new. And he sanctifies us. He makes us holy. We are truly blessed on account of being united to him because of his endurance. But he also blesses us in that he gives us his word. We have the written word which he teaches concerning the kingdom. He gives us the history of God's people. That is our history as those who are his. The scriptures include wisdom on how to live a godly life. And we have the psalms that we may bring our entire person before the Lord and praise him. And then he blesses us by healing all things that in the kingdom to come, all things will be made new. That evil will no longer exist. And that we will see him face to face. And then lastly, Jesus entreats us. Now Jesus did a lot of speaking in the scriptures. And most of the time, his, his speaking was sprinkled with salt. Speaking the truth in love. Not at the loss of one or the other. But he especially entreats us in that he comes alongside of us. He incarnates and comes into the world. It's, I like the way the message, puts, the message Bible puts this. It says Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That's the one, it's the one little splice of that I really enjoy. It's like Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He entreats us. He comes alongside us. He suffers with us. But then, in the work of his ministry, he sends the Spirit, who is called the Great Counselor. The word for entreat in the Greek is, the same, is a similar word to that of being a counselor. That he sits by us, he puts his arm around us, and walks with us. That he speaks kindly to us, that we may follow him and live. One of my favorite examples in the whole of Scripture of Jesus' kindness, though, is that with the Apostle Thomas. Most people don't like Thomas. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. The reality is, is that if you can't touch Jesus, Jesus didn't really resurrect. And Thomas confirms that for us, that that happened. And Jesus entreats Thomas. He comes alongside of him. He speaks kindly to him. And he says, look, touch me right here. Put your hand in my wounds. He's entreating Thomas because he loves him. Because he cares for him. Because he wants him to know that he is God. And that he has blessed him with himself and sonship in Christ. And such is true with us. Do you believe in Jesus who has endured, blessed, and entreated us? Do you trust him? Do you look to him alone for salvation? Because if you do, 
then there's an appropriate way that we should respond to suffering as Christians. Respond to intense and dire situations with the gospel. But it should also handle not just those strict situations where we're handling and and caring for non-Christians, but also how we care with one another. We should endure for one another. We should bless one another. We should entreat one another. Just as Christ has done for us with our provision and our example. But thankfully here in Acts 26, we get to see Paul do this. A living example, an apostle who learned directly from Christ in the wilderness. So when we look at Paul here in Acts 26, Paul endures because Christ has endured for him. He declares as much. Again, he's in prison, and he remains in prison for the rest of his life. Festus and Agrippa agree that he could have been let go. And Paul's a smart man, I guarantee you he knew that. He declares his Roman citizenship. He's aware. But Paul knows that if he will endure, it will make the most of his gospel opportunities. And Paul goes on to experience great trials in the abundance of trials he's already experienced. Paul was whipped over 400 times. It's like a whip with like claws on the end of it. I'm probably going to say that most of us have never received a whooping 400 times. Much less that. He was stoned, shipwrecked, at least one time up to this point, two more after this, I think. Left naked and starved. The list goes on. And knowing Christ's endurance for him and knowing Christ's endurance for us is the way that we do that. He considered himself an apostle in chains. That was the title he gave to himself. And he wrote four of the New Testament letters in prison. Letters that we benefit from. Letters that extol Christ and encourage us to live godly lives. Now I want to make something really clear. Enduring takes a lot of wisdom. You've got to be wise to know when to endure and when to get out. I think Paul's situation with Felix or with Festus early on, he kind of knew. Festus isn't going to repent and believe in this situation. I can tell what his game is. I'm going to appeal to Caesar because it's going to get me out of this situation. It requires great wisdom. But I also want to note that you should not endure abuse in our relationships spouses or friends endurance does not mean that in every situation so I ask you because Christ has endured for you endure endure with your friends who require great long suffering they're not easy and the Lord knows that the Lord has sent you a spirit that he might alongside of you endure with you with those who are difficult Endure in your job for the sake of Christ that you might bless your neighbor. It's so easy to run from suffering. It's so easy to go inside and lock the door and turn on the TV and sit. Look at a screen. Block it all out. But if we want to make the most of a hard situation, as the world becomes more difficult around us, as the world becomes less Christian, Historically, endure because Christ has endured for you. And in that endurance, Christ has blessed us. And Paul in Acts 26 takes great effort to bless both Felix, Festus, Bernice, Agrippa, 
and everyone else that's in the room. It speaks of other people in the room. And we go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture when Paul calls Abraham. He says, I'm calling you that you might be a blessing to the nations. The people of God have always been meant to be a blessing. And Paul does so here. Blessing typically involves two things. Spiritual needs and physical needs. I'm putting like emotional needs and spiritual needs as well. Oftentimes, though, people pit them against each other. Well, what if I, can I give them food and not the gospel? What if I give them the gospel and not food? You got two hands. Do both. Paul focuses on meeting the spiritual need here. It's the reason that he's there. The gospel is quite literally what has put him in prison. And so Paul preaches the gospel in the context of his situation. His experience on the road to to Damascus, which is, I believe, the third time he has told this story. He speaks of his actions before Christ in verse 4 through 14. He's following traditions of the Jews. He's persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. He's approving of the stoning of Stephen. He's the one that they bring the garments to and lay before him. And he praises God because he has killed a Christian. Then he explains that Jesus came to him personally on the road to Damascus. Again, Jesus is entreating. Jesus is coming down and taking a knee and asking Paul, will you stop persecuting me and follow me? And then he explains that he has been obedient to preach the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to both non-Christian, non-Jews and Jews alike. And then Festus accuses him of being out of his mind because this is a matter of faith, not one particularly of reason. It's not irrational in his speaking, per se, but the gospel message is one that can be received by faith. And we bless those who are around us by pointing them and taking them to Jesus. If Paul had sought to escape, if Paul had used the actual legal opportunity to get out of the situation, he would not have endured. And he would not have blessed these people in the speaking of the gospel. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, that when we are harmed by our enemies, we bless them. Because blessing them is the heap of coals on their head. Not our bad attitudes, not our whining, and not our opinions. When Jesus himself stood before Pilate, he said, do you not say anything? Because Jesus knew he could have gotten out of it. Satan himself early in the gospel said that he could call and angels would come to him. That's factual. But Jesus endured that he might bless and be a blessing to us as our Savior, redeeming us from sin and bringing us into the life of Christ. So speak the gospel. Speak the gospel in your own story. I know in our community group, we've made a habit of telling each other stories, and it's been a a unique blessing to hear how the gospel has shaped us and moved us from ungodly enemies of God to children of God. We're dead to sin and alive in Christ. We were enemies of God and now children. Speak the gospel to your friends, your co-workers. You may not get to get to the whole thing all at once. You may have to sprinkle it in like salt. Because remember, too much salt in one encounter makes the food taste bad. Parents, speak the gospel to your children. 
in your home. You are the normal means by which your ch- which God will draw your children unto himself. And keep the gospel the main thing. Paul could have gotten in there and probably give, written a treatise on the law and how none of this applied to him and how they were wrong and gotten himself out of the situation. The non-Christians in the room say as much. Focus on that. Keep the gospel the main thing. And in keeping the gospel the main thing, though, we have to entreat people. We entreat because Christ has entreated us. You might be wondering, what does the word entreat mean? And I've hinted at it a little bit. You speak kindly. You come alongside each other. It's literally, literally defined as this. You invite, conciliate, be friendly to, or speak in a friendly manner. I think we see that all throughout the Gospels. Especially when Jesus interacts with the people that we would assume that most religious people would hate. The sinners are the people that Jesus was friendly to, that he was kind to, that he entreated, that he invited in and spoke in a friendly manner. And we see Paul do this in this situation in Acts 26, but we see him do it generally throughout the entirety of his ministry. He calls people to hard things, but he doesn't beat them over the head with a staff. Let's look at a few places where Paul does this here in Acts 26. He answers the questions that he's asked. He doesn't try to make this about something else. That's an act, that's a, that's an act of love. It's speaking kindly and friendly with the people that he's addressing. He recognizes and addresses the authority that belongs to the people who've been put over him. He recognizes that Agrippa is king. Several times he says, King Agrippa, or he even says, Oh, King Agrippa. And he says that he's even fortunate to speak to them because he knows that the Lord has placed him in a unique opportunity to speak to the highest authorities in the land. He keeps the main thing the main thing. It's a great show of respect. And the way that I hear people talk about leaders in our country, not a whole lot of respect. And that trickles down into the church and we begin to treat reg- regular other than Christian people without respect. They accuse us of following Jesus and we call them idiots, morons, people who don't even know how to think. And when we call people those kind of things, that's like the, the PG stuff we probably call other than Christian people. Then invite them in. It's not friendly. It's not the sound or the voice of people who have been entreated <laughs> by God himself. Paul does not accuse the Jews who are attempting to condemn him as idiots. He simply states their position and explains his own. He says, this is why they're they're trying to bring me in here on charges of blasphemy. He doesn't call them foolish. He says that they're wrong, but he does it kindly. He entreats them. He refers to the sources that Agrippa would be familiar with. He references the prophets and the fathers of old. He doesn't talk about something that Agrippa has no insight into that that he couldn't connect with. If I got up here and preached in another language, I don't really know any other languages that well, you wouldn't have any idea what I was talking about. 
Most of you obviously. That's not helpful. It's not friendly. It's not inviting people in. But Paul does that for us. And he does it for Agrippa. Because Paul is aware that he has been entreated. And lastly, when Festus says that Paul is out of his mind. And and notice the text says that Festus says this with a great voice. He says, Paul, you're out of your mind. He jumps into the middle of the conversation. He cuts Paul off and accuses him of something that's not true. Paul's response is simply this. Most excellent Festus, I'm not out of my mind, but I speak to you true and reasonable words. He's aware of his position. He's aware of their authority. He's a Roman governor sent by Caesar. He wields the power of Caesar in his hands. And Paul is kind in his response. The way we address people invites them in. It entreats people to hear what we have to say. Let me be clear. Entreating our neighbor is an act of love. But it does not mean not speaking the truth. We always speak the truth when we entreat. It's a posture of humility to those who have been entreated. As a good reformed church, we believe that salvation is by faith alone and grace alone. We didn't deserve to be entreated. It's not the way of the world to entreat your enemies. But that's what God does. God entreats his enemies and makes them into a people. We should be the most humble people to both non-Christians and Christians as well. Let us entreat our neighbors. Plainly speak kindly. Befriend your neighbors. Invite them in. Get to know them. And in doing so, would you actually consider the person that you're inviting in your friend? Not to say that you've got to hang out with someone who's a non-Christian all the time or expel all of your secrets to them. But would they consider you a friend? Would you consider them a friend? If not, I bargain to say they haven't really been entreated. Jesus spoke to people with kindness and invited them in and shared the gospel with them. The basis that he knew that he cared for them was part of the reason they were so willing to hear. It is a work of the Spirit to entreat people, to be hospitable. And mature Christians do that. And that's what we see Paul do here in Acts 26. And so I ask you, entreat. Another part of entreating, though, is to understand your opponent. Your opponent. We're not really opposed to people. We're opposed to to Satan. But do you understand them? Do you understand their position? Do you care enough to be able to repeat back to them their own position on an issue? In part, we can summarize in treating as this. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. But don't be mean when you say it. Before we left for General Assembly, I read this thing about the Puritans that said you would, the Puritans would have probably done well to know that you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. 
And I think that's true of us. Because the reality is, is that Jesus, for the sake of his enemies, drank the vinegar on the cross. We don't got to force the vinegar down our enemies' throats. We bless them. We bless them. We entreat them as we bless them. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings, but Boromir's attempt to take the ring leads to his death. <clears throat> to wield evil for the sake of good is why he dies. Now, the Lord in his grace sustains this church and sustains the church throughout the world. But attempting to wield evil for good will not bode well for us. A father in the PCA, Francis Schaeffer, made this statement that we must do the Lord's work the Lord's way. To do the Lord's work the wrong way is to not do the Lord's work. He's a great example of enduring, blessing, and entreating. That he moved to Switzerland a home for people who had questions. People would come into his home. He would listen to them, get to know them. He would preach the gospel to them. And then he would entreat them with kind words. But he would also challenge them. He held both the truth and the love in both hands. Because it requires both to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the work of evangelism. Particularly in difficult situations. Paul does not appear to change anyone's mind here, actually. But it's not about being successful here, per se. The principle is to make the most of the opportunities as ambassadors of God's kingdom, as people of the gospel. We are, to, we are called to do what's right, regardless of the outcomes. We're not pragmatists, not utilitarians, or followers of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let us as the workers use the right tools to bring people to Christ. By his spirit, let us endure, let us bless, let us entreat to the glory of God, and to the love of our neighbor. Let us pray. Lord, you teach us to pray that we should forgive as we have been forgiven. This is a model prayer to us, and that all things that you have done for us, we should emulate in our relationships with others. It is by your grace we are saved. It is not of our own doing. Therefore, in a posture of humility, we should seek to endure hard things, difficult relationships, and treacherous situations. Lord, by your spirit and your word, teach us to bless others as it, is, as it is the blessing of truth and love that you use to draw all people to yourself. Teach us to love our neighbors enough to entreat them, to care for them holistically, to build true and honest relationships with them, that we might bring them to the feet of Christ and say, I have found the Savior. Repent and believe. Lord, you love our enemies more than we love them. 
By your spirit, encourage this love in our hearts that we may follow you all the days of our lives and do the Lord's work, the Lord's way. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.